You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Reality Reno with Mitch and Mark. Mitchie, we have had another very busy week. We absolutely did, Mark. We um, The shop, Mitch and Mark Home in Newport, is buzzing along with the online store. Christmas is coming. It's getting hectic. You can feel it, can't you? But we also did a red carpet event this week, which is such fun to get dressed up. We went to see Jagged Little Pill with the amazing, talented Nat Bassingworth. That show, if you want to get to the theatre, as we all do, it's been so long, we could not recommend more. It is brilliant. It's brilliant, but another amazing meeting. We got to meet the Wiggles and we wiggled with the Wiggles. Oh my God, Mark, aren't they the most beautiful humans? Yeah, who doesn't love a wiggle? But Mitchie, iconic Australian performers, the Wiggles, another iconic Australian performer. Delta Goodrun. Delta Goodrun had her Christmas concert and we were lucky enough to be there with other friends, Georgia from Ronnie and Georgia. We had Kirsty and Jesse, also from the block, and our beautiful friend, Jules Robinson. So we had a ball, and Delta, you were absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. She is. And Jules, doesn't she look amazing? She looks incredible. Mimichi, another icon, Tom Berlinson, the man from Snowy River. His swing concert, we went to that. We had a big, big week of concerts. Yeah, uh, Tom Berlinson is an Australian through and through. He is history in Australian acting. Man from Snowy River and Farlap, where I saw the premiere of that one 100 years ago. Didn't somebody mistake you for Tom Berlinson? They did, they did. And I ran with it and went to the after party as Tom Berlinson. <laughs> you went, yeah, you pretended you were Tom Berlinson. Anyway, we have got so much going on and we're all powering on to Christmas. But we also had some really great emails from you, and we really appreciate that. And we want to hear more from you, not only about what you've heard, but also about what you'd like to hear. So if you're after any particular people you'd like us to interview or to have a chat with, email us at inquiries at mitchandmark.com. This week, though, Mitch, we sit and talk to somebody who's become a good friend of ours. Damien Cooley. Now, Damien Cooley, if you don't know that name, you should if you're interested in the property market. He is Mr. Auctioneer himself. We first met Damien attending auctions around the eastern suburbs but beyond that he represented us in our blockhouse. so damien is just marked without a doubt the premier auctioneer in the country he is and during our conversation damien also talks about how he and his gorgeous white peppy are now starting to live off the grid they've, they've been used to living in the city but they've moved they're trying to be sustainable and he also talks about how that's changed their life getting back to grassroots and understanding more about life but he also gives us some amazing tips as people attending auctions if you're looking for your dream home listen up take notes because this interview is just spectacular for getting information about dealing with auctions so we hope you enjoy the amazing damien cooley Hey, but thank you so much for joining us today. We have got a million questions for you. Because you were our auctioneer in 2019 and you're one of the best-known auctioneers in the country. Yes, thank you. Um, and what a great auction it was. It's been great to, to be in the industry for a long time and conducting as many auctions as I conduct. The, I guess the benefit for me is that I get to see so many different situations and scenarios and it's been a really exciting career, a fun journey. Well, mate, and actually, I would 
I'd like to start there, actually, start where it all began because you went into an auction competition. Yeah, yeah. You kind of, you went in and you won an auction competition. At at a very young age with no experience. Absolutely zero experience. I first actually went to university for one week and uh, (laughs) I threw threw the towel in and (gasps) I remember going home and saying to my my mum and dad, I'm getting into real estate. And dad was actually a, a conveyancing lawyer. So it was a, a shock to them because I was doing law at university and did really wow. well in my HSC and whatnot. But yeah, I just, I had a thing. I wanted to get into real estate and uh, that's the journey I took. So yeah, in April, 1999, I got into property management. So look at 18? Um, 19 years old. So I started off in leasing, uh, then into property management. Uh, and then I went in an auction competition and I did really well. The auction competition was the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales Novice Auctioneers Comp. I won that. And then I went in the state final and I won that. And that's where it all began. So you went to university originally to study law. Why did you go to do law? But then how come that changed? I mean, in a week. In a week to go, bang, I'm doing something different. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, dad, dad was a lawyer. My brother's a lawyer. Law was in the family. And for me, being at university was just felt like I was back at school again. And I just decided this isn't for me. And I always had a love for real estate and I had a love for watching auctioneers. Now, I grew up walking around the streets of Rosebury, watching property auctions, uh, on-site auctions, going to with my mum and dad and just seeing auctioneers. And I always loved that. And then when I got into real estate, Watching the auctioneers whilst I was in the industry was really exciting. And I felt this is maybe something that I should throw my uh, hat in the ring and and give a go. And the auction competition for me was the catalyst for wanting to progress a career as an auctioneer. And, yeah, I mean, I started my business in 2001. So I was 21 years old when I started uh, my company. And it was actually called Rescom Auction Services at the time. We've just rebranded this year to now being Cooley. So I feel like people know that when they see the orange tie, they know that we're auctioneers and we're not technically real estate agents. But, but Damien, to get there, you, you went into a, an auction competition. Was it about the, the thrill of the chase, the thrill of the win, or was it being on stage? I really enjoyed getting up in front of a crowd. Certainly not a shy person. Being successful in real estate, you know, that is an that is a quality that you really need to to have. For me, the property side of it and the capital growth side of it and the excitement of controlling that crowd, it was very much all the different points that I really loved. I remember my dad sold my nan's house when Nan passed away. And I'll never forget that dad set a reserve at 750000 is a 600-square-metre block, Californian bungalow. You may remember we had a huge hailstorm rip through Sydney back in uh, 1999. As a result of that, we had new roof, new ceilings, new carpet, new paint through the property. It was a very classic Kensington home. And 750 was the reserve. And I remember when it, it sold for 815000 And at the time, that was huge money. Yes. And everyone was walking away saying, that buyer's a lunatic, absolute lunatic for paying eight fifteen. You know, that, that same house today is probably three and a half to four million dollars. But to me, that seven fifty to eight fifteen was the exciting part about wow, 
I've always been a believer that you need to make money while you sleep. And property investment is a way that you can make money while you sleep. And, and that's what I really love about the property industry is about investing in the industry, being able to add value to a property where others thought value couldn't be added and being able to essentially turn your $1 into $1.50 or into $2 and get the best out of the asset. Well, it's funny for us because we've our uh, style with properties being buying places that are run down, renovating, and then delivering them back to market with the intent to make a profit. but. The best profit we would ever make would be this place we're living in in Newport where we bought it pre-COVID and then like everybody else who happened to have a foot in the door, boom, the market just took I off. know. We didn't see that coming. No, I don't think anyone did, Mark. I don't, I don't think anyone did. I didn't expect with COVID that we would see growth like this. No, well, no, no one did. I mean, banks were forecasting economists that are, are much more educated in um, financial markets and, um, you know, I guess the result of the COVID scenario uh, better than me. Um, and there was a lot of people reporting, you know, 20 to 30% falls. There was a lot of fear in the property market, a lot of fear in buyers. And I think that's the biggest difference between, you know, the, the initial lockdown period and the way that online auctions played out and the way the real estate market played out to the current period that we're in right now. What has just been unbelievable is the pent-up demand that people are literally sitting in their living rooms saying, my house is too small, we need an extra bedroom, we don't have a home office, we've always wanted to buy that country farm, we've always wanted to buy that coastal retreat, I really want to live along the eastern seaboard of, of uh, Australia or I'd really love to go and buy that property on the beaches in Perth. You know, These are the conversations that are happening at the dining room tables uh, and the living rooms right now. And what we learned after that, initial lockdown period is that once we got over the the fear of big declines and everyone losing a lot of money, you know, the government really stepped in with JobKeeper, the government really stepped in helping businesses. So there's a lot of cash injected into the economy and that pent up demand, people wanting to move, cash injection, low interest rates are all the contributing factors that led to, you know, arguably one of the biggest property booms we've ever seen. Do you see it continuing? I would think it would be hard to see it booming as as strongly as it did, but I do believe that we're going to see good growth coming out of this lockdown period. While ever interest rates are incredibly low and, and we're not seeing a sharp rise in interest rates anytime soon, and there's a lot of people saying we're not going to see any rise in interest rates for a little while, there's a lot of people who are wanting to move. And any lockdown periods where people are, I guess, forced to stay in in their home, they're forced to really look around and say, well, what can we do to improve our home? What can we do to get an extra bedroom? If we can't do that, well, we need to sell and we need to move. And people will always need to buy, sell, whether it's you know births, deaths, marriages, divorces, kids growing up, people downsizing, people upsizing. There is always a need to buy and sell real estate. But what we will see, I think, for quite some time is that our market will continue to grow. And do you think it will be a, a gradual wind down or or do you think it will stop with the thud when it stops? After a significant boom, it usually tapers off pretty quickly. I do remember back in 2003 when I actually first became an auctioneer. That was really the end of the, the Sydney boom at that time. 
And I know that at that point in time, it did come off relatively quickly. We've seen other things like global financial crisis, top-end real estate come back quite sharply. Um, That is one of the markets right now that is absolutely on fire. Top end of the market is just booming right now in Sydney. A lot of people are seeing back and going, far out, where are these people getting the money from? Yeah. Remember that there have been a lot of expats that have returned to Australia that were living overseas that have done very well in their businesses overseas, that have a lot of money and cashed up, ready to buy. And that has been one of the buyer pools that has really driven the top end. What's the value? Like, is it 2 million up? Is it 5 million up? Is it 1 million up? Probably more around the, you know, 10 million and up. I would also say that, you know, you can talk about top end real estate really in any suburb, wherever you are. There's, There's always a top and there's a bottom, but as people talk about top end real estate, it usually is you know a significant amount, and there are I mean there are properties trading in Sydney now for over a hundred million dollars. So you know these are these are trophy homes, big sites, and incredible views. It's funny, Damien. There was a time in life where um, and uh, I need more of your motivation, but I actually did look towards being a very wealthy person. <laughs> now, when you mentioned top end starting at ten million dollars, I know that we will never ever ever need to worry about that. Sad, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's a burden we don't have to carry. I'm interested too, Damien, with what's happening with the market, and you see this across so many auctions that your team does. Are there areas that are booming, but does that mean there are areas like, you know, high-density living areas, I'm thinking Sydney City, CBD or, or Melbourne, where people are wanting to get out of that, and is that pushing prices down there? CBD has been a challenge, yep. I think the biggest thing that's driven those high-density markets right now that have that have been struggling frankly since since covid um is because a lot of the overseas students for example like take kingsford yes. or take sydney cbd as an example apartments in those areas you rents have dropped you know anywhere up to 30 40% um and when rents drop significantly it means the investors are out of the market um prices come back so that is one area of the market that has been challenged and the CBD has obviously been heavily driven by holiday makers, people wanting to uh, have a home in the CBD, a big Asian community within and around the Sydney CBD. The biggest and strongest market has been house market and the downsizer market. Downsized market is, is unbelievable. So on a very selfish note, we have an apartment in Potts Point, which is in the Rex building, which is currently empty. Should we hang Sell on to it? Or, yes, sell or keep? Well, I'd be saying it depends on what you're going to be doing with that money. So when someone ever asks me, you know, should I sell something? My response to that is, well, what's the next move? Because if you're going to sell that asset that you, for example, can't add any more value to, are you going to be taking money out of that asset and putting it into something else, which is going to be uh, an asset that is going to grow in capital growth? And, And is your return going to be greater in the asset that you want to buy rather than the asset you already have. So that's really the question that you need to you need to ask yourselves. I don't believe in selling just to sell. Just because the market's good, I don't believe in selling. I believe if you're going to sell to get rid of some debt and that's going to make your quality of life better, then I'd say sell. If you're going to sell to take the money out of that asset and buy, you know, a house um, on along the in the central coast, for example, 
No, I think that's a market that is doing unbelievably well and will continue to grow. South Coast, rural markets, Southern Highlands, Hunter Valley, you know, these are markets that are doing very, very well. And and frankly, almost outperforming Sydney because people have been in this period wanting to get out of where they are now and they want to buy that property that they can escape Sydney or escape Melbourne or escape Brisbane CBD. Lifestyle assets have done very, very well in the last 18 months. So I have a, a question and it's just me thinking about what are the long-term kind of ripple effects of this change in behaviour for people. At some point, are those markets like CBD or Kingsford, are they opportunities for people if they're looking at wanting to get into a market but it might be a longer-term strategy? Like, you know, if those prices go down or investors get out, are they opportunities in? Yeah, there are. There are opportunities there. I think right now that a lot of the people who are looking at potentially buying in those areas are certainly doing a lot better than they would have otherwise have done. So they're they're winning on the purchase front. The big question is that is like when will borders open and when will people come back from overseas that will be able to rent these places? We need the immigration to be able to really fill all these properties that Australia has right now. And I know that there is a shortage of property and whatnot, but it, Still, at the end of the day, that's what drives the rental market up. Challenge, I think, for any investor is that prices are so strong, interest rates are so low, the return that you're getting in terms of a yield right now is not unbelievable, but everyone's looking looking at the capital growth play. When the borders do open, people are able to go on holidays and they're able to, to, to go to Europe, for example, for a month. Are they going to still want to be going to the house they bought on the Central Coast? Are they still going to be want to be going... To that other property. But Damien, on the the Southern Highlands and the city, so you live in uh, North Shore of Sydney yep. Yep. or in the Southern Highlands, but now you split your life between both. Yep. How does that how does that work where you've got you've got a young family? You know, for us, the the farm has been just an unbelievable thing for our family. It's been it's been an incredible switch off. We come down ordinarily on a Saturday evening after auctions. Um, and Pep and the kids will usually come down around in the morning or around lunchtime, depending on um, school sport. They'll get down here early afternoon, ride the horses. I usually get down um, Saturday evening, depending on what time my last auction is. It's a two-hour drive from door-to-door from my house in Sydney to our property, and then we stay Saturday night. We spend all day Sunday. We have dinner Sunday night at the farm, and then everyone showers, changes, throws on their PJs and we drive back to Sydney. Um, so it is it is hard in some respects, but very rewarding. And the kids being able to do all these things that they wouldn't have otherwise have been able to do, ride horses, ride motorbikes, have campfires, make damper, have Billy T. To be able to do that stuff is just really incredible. Has it changed the kids having this country experience? Absolutely. It's changed the kids. It's changed Pep and I. Um, I think we're a we're a much closer family um, having this place, this getaway, to be able to get to, and also think that it really opens the kids' minds to to really thinking about other things outside of technology, other things outside of you know roaming the streets of Sydney, and down here we've got you know 180 acres where they can really enjoy themselves. Yeah, I, I think maybe that's something that's come out of out of COVID, that we were locked in our homes and then had to work out 
how we function as families and the kids automatically just went to their iPads. I think parents thought, well, for the first little bit, that was okay, but they had to really think about what the values were and and how they could get more out of life for the kids. They can't just be focused on an iPad the whole time. They'll cut off from their friends. It absolutely inspired us to move out of the city, but I think not everyone did. But maybe we got to learn more about nature. It's the ripple effect. It's it's bizarrely the un, maybe the unanticipated impact of something. I, I often like to talk to people. It's like you put a drop a pebble in a pond and the ripples go out. Sometimes you don't know the impact, but these are positive impacts, I think. I think any any family that is considering a move is certainly considering it right now. Um, and we're seeing a lot of people like moving out of major capital cities, one, one because of affordability um, and two, for lifestyle. But you like, you can go down to some of these areas outside of capital, major capital cities and buy a property at you know a quarter of the price at what you'd have to pay for that same home in the major capital cities or half the price. And so affordability plays a big role. And the positive byproduct of that in, in many respects is actually a better quality of life. Everyone's goals are different. And I think, you know, it really comes back to what are your goals? What do you want to achieve as a family? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So now having two properties, your city property and your country property, there must be work you've had to do on these homes. So what have you done, Damien? Have you have you renovated? Yep, done a number of renovations. I wouldn't say I'm a good renovator, Mitch, because I've got expensive taste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we we renovated our we, we've renovated a few properties. We we bought a property in a, a suburb called Narrenburn on the Lower North Shore, and we bought that, and then we did a we lived in it for I think about two years whilst we got a DA. And whilst we kind of worked out what we wanted to do with the home, and and it was when we bought that, it was unrenovated, and but it was what we could afford. So we decided to buy it. We could have that was what we could afford to buy. So we kind of roughed it for a couple of years while we saved up a bit more money, and then um, we renovated that property. We did end up selling that property in order to move into to buy the next family home. So we then bought in a suburb called Artaman. And we, again, we did the same thing. We lived in that for, I think, about a couple of years whilst we got a, a DA through and whilst we worked out what we wanted to build. And that was, a, that was a significant renovation on that home. And we virtually left the front two rooms standing and knocked everything of the back off. And then we just did, you know, an unbelievable five-bedroom family home. Is there a renovation plan for the house and the farm? We've been doing a lot of renovating in um, paddocks and down the driveway. We've got one kilometre of driveway. 
So that's going to be all timber fencing the whole way up. We're going to have a tree-lined driveway. And then the home, we actually just got our garden design the other day, last week. One of my uh, mates, a guy called Anthony Wire from uh, Wire & Co. in Sydney does our garden design. He did, designed our garden in, in Artaman. And he just, they literally just sent us the garden design for the farm. And it's unbelievable. And we had our architects, uh, Mark Oxenham from uh, Castle Peak, did the architectural drawings for our our little our little home here. We we don't want a big house on the farm. We're happy for it to be a smaller home. For example, we don't have a TV. We actually got hot water the other day. You'd be excited to know. Have you been going down there without hot water? Well, we're we're totally off grid, so oh, wow. no water, no power. Wow. Yeah. So we we just we just installed a uh, unbelievable solar system. Yeah. And that solar system now powers the whole house, the shed, does everything. So we don't pay council rates. We don't pay water rates. All the water that we get comes from the sky, and that's what we drink. And we have a lot of natural springs on our property, and the natural springs is what feeds through to the cattle troughs and into the dams. So, you know, we're very big on, you know, use what we have and do what we can to preserve the ground. We've done a lot of work to the property. So we're, we're doing all those little things to improve the, the capital value of the property and obviously to improve quality of life. I will say, you know, the the biggest driver of the capital growth really is the market. And I've always been a big believer is you really make your money. Well, you make you you make the significant portion of the money in the buy. And it all comes back to what you pay for something. It's I'm funny. glad you said that because when we first started to look at property, I remember somebody said that to me and I knew nothing about property and they went, you make your money when you buy it. And my brain was a bit, oh, I didn't quite get that. But I get it now. It's it's the purchase, what you do. And I guess it's driven some of why we bought certain properties because we knew we could do something to them. We knew we could improve them. We could create or manufacture some growth in that property. Um, and it was one of the reasons yep. we kept away from things like Art Deco buildings in Potts Point because everyone loves them. You know, it's too many people wanting to buy yep. them, but we could buy something that was maybe a 70s or 80s build and make it look fantastic. The only thing in saying that, though, Damien, that theory works generally, but but we have a theory of you've got to look at what are the apologies that, that are making the property cheap um, or making it less than the yes. other properties, and are there any of those apologies you can't overcome? Like we, a property, the property we did in Bondi, it was absolutely in a terrible state. So we saw that as our big opportunity to get good capital growth, but it was in a bit of a valley. It was below street level. It had a damp issue you couldn't get rid of. We could present it right, but because it was in the in the valley below street level, that was a hurdle we couldn't fix. So that apology, no matter how beautiful we made that little apartment, it wasn't going to get the capital growth. So I suppose for us, the learning is make sure that you can overcome the apologies. Really, really good point. There, there, there are some key, key things that I always look for in buying an investment property. And it, the things that actually has no relationship with the location in terms of the suburb that you're buying in or about the aspect and that the way it faces can't change its aspect. And the aspect is a really important part because people fall in love with this, a property with the right aspect straight away. And then if you are buying in certain locations and look for a location that has a good rental yield, look for locations that are you know well-tenanted. I'm a bit of a buy and hold person and I don't like to sell unless I need to. I'm interested, you know, you were talking about auction and I find the psychology 
of auction and as an auctioneer you're talking about as a kid the excitement you you would go with what your mum and dad you'd see the excitement so there was something driving you know the psychology for you as an individual to want to be engaged in that career because it's not a career a lot of people would go to school and career counselors say what do you want to be when you grow up auction is not necessarily <laughs> first on the list but at the same time the other side of that is as an auctioneer you're dealing with the psychology of people in a room can you talk to me about that because Whilst you can talk about all the research, a lot of what happens with property buying and selling is about what's going on psychologically for people, what their needs are, what drives them. Yeah. So you touch on a really, really good point, Mark, that for me personally, a lot of people say you need to inspect the property, you need to walk through the property, you need to feel it. How can you possibly sell something that you haven't seen? It actually has not much to do with the property at all for me. It has everything to do with the property for the buyer. I don't need to fall in love with the property. I need to find out what the buyer is prepared to pay and get as much as I can out of that buyer. That's my job. So my my role as auctioneer is to understand the psychology of the buyer that's fallen in love with the property and get the best out of them. That's what I love. That's what I'm passionate about is being able to work a crowd, working out who's going to be the potential purchases, how much I can draw on their heartstrings to get the best result for the owner. You know, and I, I make no apology that that's what I do. Sometimes it it can seem like seem a little bit hard because in my own mind I almost know who the buyer is going to be or I've, I get a feeling who the buyer is going to be. But my job is to keep that underbidder bidding. And when I think that underbidder is getting towards the end of their limit, I suppose, my role is to then get that highest bidder to get the best out of them. So in a lot of times towards the latter stages of an auction, when I feel like my underbidder is really about to stop, I start trying to give the highest bidder confidence that they should be going for a much higher bid. If you just bid one more thousand, you're probably going to own this. But what I need 50, now you need to bid 20 because I don't think the other bidder is going to bid again. So as an auctioneer, there's a little bit of auctioneer, auctioneer trickery for you. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting because I heard you on a podcast say something like you're almost listening or knowing what they're thinking in their head and you're trying to put something else into their head about a price. So they might be thinking, oh, I can bid another five. So how do you do that? So when a buyer is trying to bid, they have like an inner voice that say it's $1,000. They're saying, we're only going to bid $1,000. I'm looking at the buyer and I'm saying, make it 10, make it 10,000. I can almost hear their voice saying in their head, no, I want to bid one but I'm overpowering that voice because I'm allowed to speak and speak loudly. I'm saying, make it 10, make it 10,000. And I'm nodding. I'm saying 10, 10, is it 10? Yes. It's 10. Yes. So I'm convincing them and I'm overpowering their thoughts for them to give me the bid that I want. We've yeah. been in auctions where we've seen that technique and it's like, it just drives the energy and the momentum of the auction. In the same breath though, sometimes as an auctioneer, you can push too hard. And you need to know when you're starting to push too hard and you need to pull back and you need to give the buyers some wins sometimes. So sometimes a buyer might give me a win by giving me that 10. But another time, a bit of reverse psychology is I might say to the buyer, you know, I'd only bid 1,000. If I was you now, I'd just bid one, for example. And it can be a bit of reverse psychology where the buyer might actually then say five. Every situation is different. And it is all literally happening you know, in split seconds and we're making split second decisions. Sometimes you make the wrong decision. Damien, can you see the person who is going to be the purchaser well ahead of the purchase happening? 
Mitch, we can. Um, one of the challenges is you're really only working with the buyers that have bid unless you know the people who are registered for the property. When we have somebody who comes in right at the end of the bidding, it's my role as the auctioneer to know that they're a registered bidder. So I'm looking for that person, even though they haven't bid yet. And people make telltale signs. And when they zero in on me, I know that something's about to happen. A, a telltale sign when someone is getting towards the end of their end of their bidding to their limit, they'll they'll be bidding and they'll uh, it might be a couple and they both look at each other. And when they look at each other, they're looking at each other saying, you know, should we go again? Shouldn't we go again? Now that that yes. is a time when I because I think one of the biggest mistakes that buyers make is they don't watch their competition. Because if I was a bidder and I saw my competition doing that, if the auctioneer convinced them to come back in, as soon as that person bid, that's when you need to pounce and bid comp- bid strongly. It's the speed yeah. of the bid rather than the increment. So I'm really interested that you say that, Damien, about people not looking at other bidders because when we started with property, auctions scared me. But I remember Mitch bid for friends of ours. They said they didn't feel confident could he do the bidding. And Mitch, almost that same thing happened. There was a couple and Mitch just came in with consistent bids. Like the minute somebody bid, he came back with a counter calmly, almost setting a pattern of I'm not giving up. Damien, they they were doing they were the the other bidders were 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 very slow coming back with their bids, um, and they were trying to push the the, price, the bidding number down. Like they were trying to go up by a thousand. Yep. Every time one of I never looked at them. I just looked at the auctioneer. Every time they bid, I came back with five thousand. I knew what my our buddy's budget yep. was. I came back. I came back with five every time. Every time. Every time. And then when we when I hit his limit, I turned to him and I said, "You need to keep going." And he panicked and said yes. And I went again. It, it was so interesting you should say that behavioural stuff because watching that, I still remember that, the other couple hesitated and they were talking to each other and weren't sure. And Mitch literally, at the side of his mouth, without moving his eyes, just went yes or no, now, decide now. And the guy went yeah. yes and he just went straight back to keep, yeah. keep that kind of pressure on. The other two that were there, they basically, they gave yes. up. I felt like they gave. I felt yeah. like they thought, "Oh, this guy's going to yep. go forever." It was. The, it was the last bid we yep. had in us. Exactly, and and it was so much, so much yes. fun. Oh. <laughs> That's what I love. I wanted to ask you about kind of online auction because the human behaviour. You know, as an auctioneer, you're managing and reading human behaviour in that group, and we we've seen that. Obviously, we've seen that in auctions. We've been to. We've seen you in in action in many auctions, and also in in our auction, obviously in 2019. Human communication is not just words, it's all that body language, but you don't get that. So I wanted to ask, how is it different? Yeah, well, it's different in one key point for the buyers is that the buyers also can't see each other. So the thing I was speaking before about, you know, what's your competition, in in the online environment in auction now, the platform that that we use by Realtair, that platform, the buyers can't see each other. And, and I can't see the buyers, but the buyers can see me. The most, or the hardest thing I should say for the buyers at that point is that because they can't, I can't see them and they can't see each other, they don't know what the other buyers are thinking. So that little look at each other, if a couple are looking at each other, the buyers can't see that. And that's been a really interesting dynamic. So I've been, we've been seeing stronger results, larger increments, more active bidders, Average number of registers. Every, every single statistic in the auction market right now is up. 
Wow. Dan, can I just ask you then another question? Because, you know, looking at human behaviour and how people operate in auctions, and I want to ask about Danny Wallace. Danny Wallace has been one could call an infamous bidder at block auctions. Yep. And block auctions, I think, are very different, very unique. But they he does, are. and a lot of people don't understand. He does that weird kind of bidding where he bids for four million two hundred and thirty-three yep. cents or something as an yep. auctioneer. Like, what is that all about? I think it's about trying to bring them back from their momentum. Auctions are really driven by momentum. And funnily enough, a lot of auctioneers struggle with calling odd, weird numbers. I think that he's also trying to make his people that he's bidding against, so his competition, make them feel a bit awkward about the bid that he's bidding. Or it could just be that he's having a lot of fun and he just wants to bid a crazy number. I don't know. I think the strategy is is flawed because at the end of the day, um, if someone wants to buy the property, they'll buy it. And really, the person with the biggest budget should be the buyer in the end. But I do believe if you have a similar budget, a better bidding strategy should be, you know, somebody else who doesn't have a good bidding strategy. As a real estate professional and as the leading auctioneer in the country, what's next for you? Where to from here? I'm hoping Capri in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I'm I'm very very big on um, personal goals, business goals, life goals. It, for us, really, it is about looking at our kids at the age that they are now. So I've got three kids; um, they're eight, ten, and twelve. Um, for them, the important stage of their life now is getting through um, schooling and their education. It is all about you know being able for me personally to be able to provide an income um, that generates that income to be able to support our uh, our portfolio of property investments. The biggest goal, financial goals that I've always had is to make money while you sleep. And that's to be able to have investments that are making me money. So I always see my auctioneering job career as provides me with an income to do the things that I really want to do. But I always do come back to you never know when your time's up. My mum passed away in January. She was only 66 years old. Um, Dad's not well. And you you really need to enjoy yourself. It's not all about money. It's not all about assets. It's not all about materialistic things because none of that you can take with you when you go. I'm glad and interested that you say it's not about money. It's about what's in here. And, yep. and you've done stuff with, like, yeah. I think, we've raised, Chris we've, Riley. We've, well, we've, we've raised well over a million dollars for Youth Off the Streets. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador for Youth Off the Streets. I was on the development committee for Youth Off the Streets. Um, but I do like unbelievable amount of charity auctions and I, I donate a lot. I give a lot purely because I think that that really comes from a place of wanting to see others do well. I'm a big believer in what you give out, you know, comes back in spades. And there's a lot of people doing it a lot tougher than us. You know, we're, we are incredibly fortunate to have the things that we have. Damien, you're an incredible man and um, you're listening to you now about what you've achieved and and what you've given back. I'm sitting here feeling quite disappointed in Mark, quite frankly. Um, uh, (laughs) We've always asked when we get some, um, get our guests, we ask them lots of questions. They give us, they share a lot about themselves. What is, is something you would like to ask us? Is there anything, not that we're that fascinating, Mitch is. I think um, one question that I'd like to know from you guys is where do you see 
your principal place of residence being, you know, in 10 years' time from today? Damien, if you had have asked us that question before December 2019, uh, we would have said our principal place of residence will always be in the city. We bought this place in Newport on a whim, but now we think we've made a big move to um, to out of the city to Newport, which for us was big. But uh, we, we we love we love being in this beachside location, quite a pace, super friendly. So I could see it being here, but I wouldn't even rule out going further. I had to say, but 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 it won't be the city. Yeah, I think it, it's changed our mind, and you mentioned earlier. COVID and what's what's the impact of that has brought us back to lifestyle. And I yep. think we will always want to be near the beach, somewhere more relaxed. I could even think in five or ten years' time, maybe spending more time when borders open. You know, we love going, we love up here, but we love also, say, the Greek islands. And I can see going there and just hanging out, doing nothing, just relaxed. Would be, be great. Getting out of the city has changed us. Listening to you with your vision of just doing so much, in some ways getting out of the city has changed us in that we used to always want more. Now now I think Mark and I, we just want enough. We just we're want lucky. Us. And I think we're going to go, we're very lucky and we have enough. But enough is our thing now. Mm. Yeah. I think that comes back to what I'm now starting to really learn is about being fulfilled rather than being goal-driven to meet targets and achieve this goal and do that. It becomes back to just being fulfilled and being happy um, and being content and happy with what you have. I think I love the fact, Damien, you talk about happiness. It's about happiness. And the joy that I bring, Mark, Damien, you've only got to look at the guy's face. Look look how happy he is. (laughs) That's it. I'm really excited to travel. Um, oh fuck yeah! I never had I never had the travel bug in me um, until Peppy um, really put the bug in me. Um, that's how that's how I actually ended up convincing her to uh, to marry me. I had to fly over to Paris and fly her home from uh, fly her home from France and um, and get her to come back to Sydney because she actually went and moved and lived over in uh, Paris for I think about nine or twelve months. So um, my and first. And were you dating at the time she moved? Yeah, yeah, we were. Yep. She she yep. had to move away from you for you to. I obviously that. wasn't a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> so she moved to Paris. You were yeah, dating. It was early days. It was early days. We, we'd only been dating for um, I don't know, maybe a month or so, a couple of months. Oh, she just wasn't that into you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first time overseas. Oh, that's romantic though. First time overseas, yeah, was because yeah she was there and you wanted to go and see her and yeah. bring her back. In the coolies, we lived a relatively sheltered life in the sense that you know I think the first time I ever went to a cafe, I was probably eighteen, um, wow. and mum and dad did ev- everything for us to to give us a good education and sacrificed a lot. And mum and dad were very religious. Um, you know, we grew up in the environment where, you know, materialistic things were were not important. I think when I first started in real estate, you know, young guy, egotistical, you start making a bit of money, things start coming easily, things come easily and you start buying all these assets and materialistic things and whatnot. And the older you get, the wiser you get, and it still becomes less about that. And the older I get now, I hear things that 
mum and dad used to say to me all the time about just quality of life. My dad now, you know, he doesn't have his wife and he doesn't have this and he doesn't have that and he doesn't spend a lot of money, but he's still happy and he's still happy with with himself. He doesn't need that stuff to be happy. So it's almost like that kind of message, that voice or that message from your parents is very strong about happiness and that that comes back in what you're doing now. You get grounded in that. It's an amazing gift to have, Damien. Well, it is it is amazing. And I, I'm I'm reminded by it. When mum passed, I'm one of five, and she wrote all of our all of her children a birthday card to be opened up on your birthday. And my birthday oh. was in June. Mum passed in January. So I was a bit nervous and apprehensive about opening up the the birthday card. But when I opened it up, the the message was um, she said to me, she said, I always knew that you were going to shine. Oh, Jamie. But but um, don't forget what's important. Oh. Uh, I knew the message of what she was saying. Yeah. What an amazing gift to have. Yeah. So that's that. they're the things that are important. Wow. My uncle, who died over a period of only eight weeks, he actually had that time. He accepted it was happening. And he just spent time with his five kids. Mm. And as a yep. nephew that was so fond, I spent time. And it's it's heartbreaking, but it's pretty amazing mm. to have. It's amazing. It's it's a yeah, yeah absolutely. It is it is amazing. Yeah. So special to have. Damien, thank you so much. And thank you thank for you. Yeah, yeah. I admire you even more than I did before. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I'm, I'm I'm on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're a little bit, we're a little bit off renovation topic. <laughs> I know. With all the talk about moving to the country oh. and watching your barley and getting in touch with nature, all I'm picturing is Peppy with big bushy fucking armpits. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, this is a little gated community down here. When you when you come through the front gates, you've got to take your clothes off and then up you come. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Oh my god! It's a whole another. You see me on the block. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, don't don't tempt him. Don't tempt him. Uh, Damien, yeah. thank you so much, and our love for Peppy too. Yeah, thanks. So much. Pleasure. Thank you for giving us your time. Absolute pleasure. We were so close to getting through that chat without upsetting another guest. My goodness, Mark, I blame you totally. You made Damien cry. I seem to have a skill at that, don't I? But what a lovely and intelligent and driven man he is. He is. You know, I always love spending time and talking to Damien, but that's it from us for this week. Christmas is around the corner, and Mitch, probably like a lot of our listeners, we have a lot of Christmas shopping to do. We haven't even started. It's upon us. But, Mark, uh, we would also like our guests to please take a moment and review us. It really does help us get noticed out there. And I've got to tell you, we love being noticed. So thank you for listening to Reality Arena with Mitch and Mark and join us again next week. Bye for now. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.